Welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein, with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. As the meetings industry continues to grapple with the many challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic, venues are revamping their hygiene practices in order to mitigate health risks for visitors. To help in this effort, the Global Biorisk Advisory Council, which is a division of the Worldwide Cleaning Industry Association, ISSA, has released a new GVAC STAR program to certify venues in the cleaning, disinfection, and prevention of infectious diseases such as coronavirus. The program aims to provide meeting planners and attendees with assurance that the highest levels of cleanliness and safety are being followed at GBAC Star certified facilities. A handful of convention centers have already completed the program, and more venues, hotels, and cities are in the process of getting certified. I'm Elise Schoening, Associate Editor for North Star Meetings Group, and on this episode of Eventful, we'll be speaking with Dominic Bruno, the Director of Facility Operations for the Georgia World Congress Center which is the first convention center in the United States to receive the GBAC SAR certification. But first, we'll hear from Patricia Ollinger, Executive Director for the Global Biorisk Advisory Council, about how this effort was launched and why this kind of program is key if face-to-face meetings are to return. The Global Biorisk Advisory Council is a division of ISSA, and ISSA is the world-leading trade association for the cleaning and professional disinfection communities. ISSA has around 10,000 members worldwide right now, and also into like 105 countries. We're really widespread and wide-reaching. The Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council was put together by uh, uh, several different individuals, and this was before we were even part of ISSA, back right after the Ebola um, outbreak and in 2014, 2015. And there were several of us in the industry, me being professional biosafety, bio-risk management, professional disinfection community, crime trauma hoarding, that forensic restoration thought process, and then the cleaning industry, and we got together and we realized that we each had gaps in our industry, but that together we were much stronger when we would pull together and look at training, certification of individuals. When COVID hit, we realized we needed to go to a virtual training as well as look at what people needed in the front line. We're up to about 17,000 individuals who have signed up to take that training and all across the world. We realized that what a lot of people wanted was, we've been shut down, we're going to have to reopen. How do we bring confidence back to people? How do we look at it? I have a lot of experience in quality management systems. I'm the convener for ISO working group that is developing international standards on bio-risk management. We had already thought about the process of an accreditation program for cleaning disinfection and what we called infection prevention programs. We made it a virtual program. It had to be something that was doable in weeks, not months or years. I noticed that you have a background. It's pretty interesting. And you, before working at GBAC, you were the executive director for environmental health and safety office at Emory University, where they had some Ebola patients in 2014. Yes. Who else is on the, this council and helped create these guidelines? 
Dr. Gavin McGregor-Skinner, who's now a director here at, at GBAC as well. And Gavin was intimately involved. I mean, if you look at his background, he's been a professor at Harvard. Penn, he is a professor at Penn State. He has worked for CDC, USAID. I've traveled around the world with him training on infectious disease uh, prevention. We have Dr. Paul Meachin, who recently retired from CDC who, if you're familiar with the laboratory side of biosafety, there's a book that we refer to as the BMBL, and he's the editor of the new version that's going to be coming out. Uh, He finished that up right before his retirement. I worked with him quite a bit when I was at Emory during the Ebola outbreak and CDC, making sure that everything was what we needed to have, working with them very closely. Dr. Stefan Wagner, who is one of our scientific advisory board members and working very closely on the accreditation program as well. He just retired recently from Health Canada. And then we work very closely with individuals that are intimately involved with the industries from a standpoint of the different agencies, IAVMs and IAE and Rick Simon from United Services Corporation and working with them from a partnership, making sure that we're meeting the needs of the industry as well as the needs from a biosafety, biosecurity, virus management, cleaning, disinfection, and what we call infection prevention measures. So we have a very unique team. And what were some of the key considerations when you all came together to put this program together? Key considerations, well, making sure that we're not just cleaning for clean and shine, moving from that philosophy and thought process to ensuring that we're doing things in such a way that we're actually removing deadly pathogens or dangerous pathogens. The disinfectants that you're using actually are approved. And if it's technology, you know, really look at it from a critical eye. Does this technology really have validation? Because we're seeing sometimes that uh, that's not the case. The accreditation program is based on 20 quality management elements, I call them. And one of them is sustainability. And the first thing people think about is, oh, green and sustainable. It's like, well, that's really awesome. But the important part of this is that when we're developing a program for cleaning, disinfection, and infection prevention measures, let's make sure that we think about how is this going to be sustainable? What I'm looking at is how are we making sure that these programs are sustainable so that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, that we still are thinking about the protection of our of our employees and our customers. Because when COVID goes away, there's always going to be another pandemic that's out there. Mm-hmm. I had actually looked through those 20 program elements and they are really far reaching and they go beyond just personal protective equipment and disinfectants and cleaning supplies. And they also cover waste management and staff training and a worker health program. Those are all aspects of what I would call a complete program. So if you have employees who are being expected to go out into the field and do some of this work, what are those things that you need to have in place? It's like, what are the rules and regulations that we need to be in? you know, that are applicable. We want to make sure that we're in compliance with those. What am I going to expect from my facility and from my people? Do I need to have an occupational medicine program? Waste management, you may have local requirements that require you to dispose of medical waste or infectious waste or COVID waste in a particular way. And have you looked into that? 
when I talk about audits and inspection on one hand, everybody goes, oh, I can't stand them. And, and I understand that. I've been on both sides of the fence here, being audited and then being an auditor. Internal checks and balances, whether you want to call it an audit program or inspection program or whatever you want to call it, it's verifying that your program is functioning the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. And the 20 elements, they all kind of interact together if put together well. But it's going to take time. It's like, okay, I got it done. Now I'm accredited. But then how do you continue to improve on your program and putting you know, goals and objectives in, that, in place? What's the process for a venue or facility that is looking to be GBAC certified? All the information is right there at either issa.com or gbac.org. And we can talk you through the program, what it looks like, um, what the steps for application are. Once you apply, you get a whole bunch of information and you get a TAM book. And we're developing, as time goes on, again, with it happening so fast, sometimes we feel like we're building the ship as we're sailing it. (laughs) And when a new vertical comes online, like a convention center, we recognize that some Folks like the Georgia World Conference, the Miami Dolphins, and then the Staples Center had a lot of SOPs, everything already in place, but not everybody does. And some people need a little bit more guidance. So we started developing templates that are available to folks and that they can see the types of things from a standpoint of cleaning and disinfection and you know, social distancing thought processes and, and potential solutions that they can implement. We're going to pause our conversation with Patty for a few minutes to hear from Dominic Bruno, the Director of Facility Operations for the Georgia World Congress Center, which is the first convention center in the United States to earn the GBAC Star Certification. The GBAC Star program is valuable because it's an independent third-party verification of a system of safe and effective work practices. It allows us to understand and uh, focus on science-based definitions of what is a proper protocol and procedure uh, in the world. Today, there's a lot of sources of information, some more reputable than others. And uh, there's uh, honestly a lot of noise. And GBAC Star has filled the space of consolidating that information into a science-based approach of effective deep cleaning, sanitation, and disinfection as a means of, of infection control. And really, the goal is that we all get described to these outcomes and these procedures in order to provide our clients the confidence that we are doing our part to be prepared to reopen for meetings and events in our space. How long did it take to get accredited? When did you first apply and what was that process like of getting accredited? So the full accreditation process probably took us four to six weeks, depending on how you want to measure that. Our organization participated as part of a industry task force through our membership with a group called IAVM. That's the International Association of Venue Managers. And through that partnership, we participated in a task force with other convention centers who were early adopters and made early commitments to the GBAC, to attaining the GBAC STAR accreditation for their organizations. So uh, the accreditation program has 20 elements, all of which fall under really three key focus areas, and that is effective and proper procedures effective and proper chemistry, and then proper training for the staff that will be using that chemistry as part of those procedures. Uh, And everything about the program is built around maintaining that 
Certainly there are elements of how you put it together. For example, the whole program is built off a risk assessment, and that risk assessment is a way for the venue to identify areas of focus. Some of them are very common in the news media today. Touch points, for example, I'm sure a lot of people know that word. There are a lot of them, but some are higher risk than others because of the way the venue operates and the way the space operates. And then we had to identify mitigation strategies for each of those risks. Now, for some of them, we engineered them out. We don't have to use that door, for example. We can take a different route. For some of them, there's administrative procedures that we put in place. You have to wear a mask if you enter this area. That's an administrative procedure. And some of them, we have a kind of an, an active mitigation strategy. So uh, frequent sanitation may be we increase the frequency of cleaning and disinfection in that area. Uh, so you assign those mitigation strategies to the, to the risks identified in that risk assessment. And then there, certainly there's an element of compiling information that is common to large organizations, such as uh, standard operating procedures, inventory lists, cleaning and disinfection frequencies, you know, schedules of cleaning, waste management procedures, all of these sorts of things are all part of those 20 elements. And then the final part is, is about the actual program control. So how do you execute, monitor, review, update, and verify the parts of that program. So those are sort of, that's kind of an overview of the whole accreditation process. And um, all of the venues that participated in this task force had strengths in certain areas that we were able to rely on each other to help elevate the overall submission process. And uh, the International International Association of Venue Managers is working to produce some supporting documentation for our member venues to help with the accreditation process so that what took us four to six weeks might take two to three uh, for someone coming in the next couple of months. And then digging into the weeds a little bit more, can you tell us specifically what some of those changes that you made in terms of facility cleaning, equipment, or training? Certainly. So interestingly enough, as a venue management business, many of the operations professionals in that business are familiar with many of the concepts that are fundamental to the GBAC STAR program just because of the nature of what we do. It may have been more of a stretch. The concept of a risk assessment, for example, all of us as venue operators have participated in that before. Frequencies of cleaning and staffing protocols and procedures. In order to execute what we do at the scale that we do, those are common practices. Now, what what a lot of us had to do is tailor some of those procedures given the current state of affairs and the current pathogen Mm -hmm. organism that we're looking to mitigate against. And maybe some of those procedures had to be uh, changed a little bit. Perhaps we had to change some of our chemistries across the board. I'm happy to say and proud to say that in our venue, we had taken some steps over the last really 12 to 18 months prior to COVID even being on anybody's radar to update our procedures, update our cleaning efficiencies, update the equipment and the chemistry that we use to the most effective, lowest toxicity chemistry that we can use and, and applying it with the with current procedures such as electrostatic sprayers. We had those on property before this ever happened. Certainly, we're looking to elevate that and expand the usage of that sort of technology. But a lot of what we had in place applied to the GBAC STAR program. What, what has really changed is perhaps the frequency, perhaps that when we have to clean, we have to shut things down in order to clean. In an event before, we may have refreshed a restroom and sanitized it in real time while the restroom was open. Now we are going to have to close that restroom when we clean it so that uh, we can allow the chemicals the appropriate dwell time to be effective. 
that might be a small change. Uh, but overall, the base level program elements existed in some capacity in our venue. Now, organizing them and focusing them with the intention on disinfection is where most of those changes happen. So perhaps to the, the untrained observer, it might be difficult to see what has changed. But for us, it's a lot more focused on the verification of those procedures using the appropriate chemistry and achieving a true disinfection rather than what it would have been a sanitization uh, component prior. I was taking a look at your website this morning. I noticed that you're also implementing touchless solutions for parking and for a bunch of other things. How are you using that and um, technology and other ways to help combat COVID-19 and keep attendees safe? So when we talked earlier about the idea of a risk assessment, there are many different types of uh, risks that you can identify given the way that we know today that SARS-CoV-2 transfers. And part of the mitigation strategies we can enact are administrative or engineering. Administrative controls are process changes that by their nature, by their policy change, will aid us in mitigating a, a situation. For example, moving to a digital registration platform at an event reduces or in some cases eliminates all of the touch points along the spectrum that used to exist in the um, registration procedure. So in that way, wherever we have found reasonable and practicable changes to a touchless experience, we have implemented them. A touchless bottle filling water fountain, encouraging advanced registration or timed arrivals for staff. These are all things that can minimize the number of places where we have to generate a queue line so that folks can get right down to doing what they want to do, which is practicing the function of the meeting uh, for which they're here. Certainly, there are some investments required in some cases. There are certain back-end procedures and software systems in place that are required. But everywhere that we, we are looking everywhere throughout our facility for places where these sorts of strategies will minimize the number of potential areas of focus for transmission of this particular pathogen. How often will the GBAC protocols be updated and how will that process work? The GBAC star accreditation is not the end of a procedure. It is the beginning of a partnership. Uh, certainly, there's a milestone to celebrate when we get to that point, but there's a partnership. And part of that partnership is to help us distill all of the information that's out there and the science that's out there and get it into practicable digestible fashion for the operators who are doing the work. And in that way, we anticipate the program being a living, breathing document and at to some degree being updated specifically in, I would say, six months. I personally am seeing this being a fairly constantly updated procedural manual. But at a macro scale, we will update the plan itself on at least a regular basis of no less than annually or as needed as major, uh, major program elements get adjusted. So certainly our procedures or guidance might change little elements of the plan, but we will review the overall program annually for a complete update. And the recertification process through GBAC is an annual event. When is your first live event scheduled to take place at the Georgia World Congress Center? And what can you tell us about any additional precautions or measures that you're taking to make that group feel safe coming? I'm excited to say that we've already had a few small events, uh, if you can call them events. They don't look very similar to uh, necessarily the way we used to do things, perhaps. But we're all following the guidelines and implementing the protocols of this program, as well as the local and regional and federal jurisdictions that, that apply for us. I'm proud of the team for, for having already implemented these at events in, in March. We, you know, before GBAC Star was announced as, a, as an achievable accreditation, we had developed a pretty robust infection 
and control procedure in place uh, for an event that ran through the middle of March. So as things were starting to close down, we were still wrapping up a large major industry trade show. And so it wasn't called GBAC Star back in March, but these types of procedures have been in place at our venue for a while. Our team will wear masks at all times and we take our temperatures every time we enter the facility through our employee entrance. And, and, and our brand service promises to produce compelling guest experiences, and we are geared toward producing that even among the, the challenges we all face today by being prepared for welcoming everybody back. Are there any details that you can share about those small events that have taken place? We have ongoing conversations about regional events, and you know there, there are a lot of challenges that each event uh, is facing. You know, all of us as business business elements are facing uh, challenges to the core process through which we achieve our business and having to reinvent that. We've had some testing events, for example, where we, we have the ability to isolate isolate tables and everybody can get their own table, right? Or procedural type warehousing type operations that don't require a lot of interaction among the individuals. Uh, and then we're still talking for through a couple of uh, upcoming events about the ability to host them in the sporting event, local, regional type of event that may be a little more flexible in their methods to achieve that event. But we have not had a large trade show since our GBAC accreditation. Mm-hmm. We do have some on the calendar. They are further and further out, it seems. And the definition of what constitutes a large trade show in this environment also is a changing and fluctuating spectrum. But we still have events on our calendar. We are still working daily with our clients to help find a method and a way of safe delivery of that event experience. And where possible, host that event in our space. Uh, that could mean, uh, you know, slightly different arrangement of spaces, slightly different programming methods, using outdoor spaces when possible, lots of different methods to help us all arrive at the end goal that we all mutually share, which is welcoming our guests back for successful meetings and events. Yeah, that kind of goes well into my next question, which is that we're seeing some small in-person meetings take place. A lot of them are hybrid, but there is some uncertainty about when these bigger trade shows and conventions can come back. What personally are your feelings on that? If it's going to be later this year or more 2021, I'm just kind of curious what your your thoughts on the. I, I wish I had a crystal ball, <laughs> but I, I think my personal opinion is that there's a level of consumer confidence that has to return. And I, when I say consumer, I mean every definition of consumer from the attendee to the uh, business for which that attendee works, the airline, the hotel uh, stay, the event venue, the restaurants around the area, the city, the federal landscape. So there's a lot of touch points along the consumer journey that all influence the overall level of consumer confidence. And I am glad that we were the first convention center in the country to get GBAC Star certified. We are by no means the last. I'm proud of my team for getting us to that point and getting that designation. I'll tell you this, everybody that we talk to wants this to happen. There's nobody out there that doesn't want events to come back. The question is, how do we do it in a way that is achievable, either financially and fiscally? And from a safety viewpoint, how do we make it the safest environment possible so that our customers are confident to come back? As this becomes further and further adopted across that user journey, I think you will see some consumer confidence continue to grow. Uh, We've had a couple of large shows on our calendar, and we hope to hold on to them and hope to help them achieve their end. But we will meet the challenge of the current times with updating our paths forward and our plans and our procedures. 
so that when the customer is ready to come back, we will be standing here ready for them to host their event. Is there anything else that you want to add? I think the only thing I'd like to finish with is I'm grateful for the work that our task force partners did through IBM to really help us. Sometimes in this industry, we get a little competitive and (laughs) we say, oh, they're going to this city or that city. I'm really proud of our industry for banding together to set all that aside and talk through what do we need to do as a business industry trade group to elevate the whole industry. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. A credible certification program for cleaning and disinfecting venues like GBAC Star has proven to be extremely valuable right now. So much so that it has spread beyond just convention centers and other organizations, including hotels, airports, and even entire cities are seeking to get certified. You know, the city's kind of surprised us a little bit. It was, uh, Visit Dallas was the first to approach us. Who would have thought that a city wanted to be a destination, GBAC star destination? And we're still working out what that looks like to the end user and the consumer and making sure that the destinations have what they want. Every time I say this, then somebody else calls me with a new vertical. But we have salons and spas and tour events, churches, schools, K through 12. It's been very humbling seeing the different groups because everybody is desperate to want to reopen and they want to do it right. They want to do it as safely as possible. Beyond just, you know, looking clean, what are some of those changes that event attendees can expect when they go into a GVAC certified convention center or hotel? They're going to see that star. They're going to see people cleaning and disinfecting more often. They're going to see queuing on the floors. They're going to see more hand sanitizing stations around. They're going to probably be wearing masks. Things are going to be different in the meeting room prior to, afterwards, and maybe even during. This is a worldwide initiative, and there are convention centers beyond just the U.S. and in Mexico, Canada, and even Italy that are pursuing the program. Was that intended to be at a global um, scale, or did that just kind of take off? No, it was intended to be a global, very heavy emphasis here in the beginning in the U.S., um, in Canada, North America, I would say. Our reach has always been global, and our intent has always been global. And in fact, we'll have our first announcement this week of a of a international venue. Oh, I'm excited to see that. And then we've been learning more about coronavirus as the weeks and months go on. How often will the GBAC protocols be updated and how will that be communicated with the venues? Ah, well, we have a communication that's going to be going out this week for the first time. The star report (laughs) um, is what we're calling it. And it's really just to communicate who are the new folks? If we see people struggling, let's say, with an element, we'll give a little information, links to other information. The intent is not to be a long magazine type thing, but really just a couple pages where it's a continual education. We're building a collaboration in a community, and we're recognizing that this is not just um, a one and done. This is something that we recognize is going to go on hopefully forever for us, for our intent and purposes and for the for the the venues we're seeing that this is something that they're really wanting more information on and we also recognize that they have a lot of staff turnover and so that ongoing training and education and information is going to need to be there and 
I don't know about you, but one of the last things I want to do is every year have to go through the same online video over and over again. And so we recognize that the information and the ongoing education needs to change periodically as well. We're seeing some small in-person meetings take place in some cities in the U.S., Florida, Virginia, Connecticut. But there's a lot of uncertainty about the future of the live events industry right now, especially on a larger scale, conventions, trade shows, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on what the fall and even 2021 will look like and how GBAC might help restart that or still might take a little while? You know, it's going to be really dependent on location. We were initially scheduled to have our trade show in Chicago, and the Chicago area, you know, really basically said that they really didn't want mass gatherings until probably 2021. And so our trade show is now moving to Las Vegas in November. And looking at what that, and I think a lot of people are feeling that. And a part of it is not just the venue and location side of things, but the industry itself has been hit really hard. And so do they want to go ahead and not just our trade show, but a lot of trade shows, do they want to continue to send people to trade show or wait? So we're seeing kind of a downtick in, in how many trade shows have, are going to be happening this year and they're moving to virtual. I think we're all going to be zoomed out by the end of the year. But I guess the reality is we are starting to see some more trade shows. There's a trade show that's happening in a couple of weeks and we're starting to see a few of these at Orange County and at Georgia World Conference Center. And we're all going to be looking at them. Some of my team will be at some of them and looking at what are the best practices, how we can do this safely and together. And I think that those will help pave the road for others to be able to do things in the future. And once we get past this next few months, my prediction is that we'll start seeing more of them because people will start to feel a little bit more comfortable once they start seeing what the actual work practices and procedures and how these events are going to function going forward. Because right now, I think a lot of people are just not sure what it's even going to look like. Is there anything else that you want to add about this topic or generally about meetings and events and coronavirus? Ah, you know, I think that people need to understand that we do have a lot of the tools in the toolbox to be able to do this safely. It is going to come down to a lot of individual behavior. You know, I mean, the whole controversy on do we wear a mask, just wear the mask. (laughs) You know, and especially if we're going into these large venue situations, you wear a mask and you have a protection factor, both for you and for the other person. It allows us that freedom to be able to do some of these things. And to reopen successfully, we're going to initially need to eliminate some of the risk behavior. We are cleaning more, we're disinfecting, and those are really key and important aspects. But those infection prevention measures are only as good as we as individuals from a behavioral standard follow them. And that's going to be a key important part of it. And so to reopen together, we have to work together. And that's one of the whole aspects of GBAC and the behind the scenes is that we are here as a collaboration and to work together. And together we can do this safely. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.